0: If you were asked to choose a person that you would pattern your prayer life after, Elijah might not be the first man that comes to your mind, is it? It's not because we don't think he's a godly person. He was. It's just that we may think he's way out of our league because we've seen so far in our series that he was a miracle worker. He was a prophet. But I want to remind you as well that in James chapter 5, in verses 17 and 18, we were told, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You see, Elijah wasn't one of these characters from Comic-Con that had a cool mask and a red cape. People didn't run around going, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Elijah. He was a man just like us. He had limitations. He had disappointments. He had fears, he had failures, there were frustrations in his life, but Elijah was a man of faith. He was a man of faith who prayed, and he saw great things happen. In 1 Kings 17.1, we, we saw that when Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, it didn't for three and a half years. In 1 Kings 17.20-23, 20 we saw his faith was stretched as he stretched himself out on the body of that lifeless boy, and he prayed earnestly that God would bring the boy back to life, and God did. We saw in 1 Kings 18 last week how he prayed that fire would fall from heaven, and it did. As we come back to 1 Kings chapter 18 today in our Bible, looking at the last part of this passage, we're going to see Elijah in prayer again, this time not for fire to fall from heaven, but as he pours out his prayers before the Lord, he's asking that God would pour rain upon the earth. As we look at 1 Kings 18:41 and following, it says, Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink for there is the sound of a roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he crouched down on the earth and he put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now, look, look toward the sea. So he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go back. Seven times this happens, and it came about the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, for there is a heavy, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. So it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode, and he went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he outran Ahab. To Jezreel. Now, this part of the story picks up right after the death of the 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, it, it's easy to kind of miss this part about the rain, isn't it? I mean, we've just had this mountaintop showdown at Mount Carmel. We've had 450 false prophets wiped out. And, and right on the heels of it, we come back and it says Elijah went up to pray for rain. Now, this is where the story began back in chapter 17. If you remember, he showed up at the palace and he told Ahab, there will be no rain for the next period of time except by my word. And the reason there would be no rain is because God said the people had turned from him. One of the consequences, as we talked about, was that God would withhold the rain as judgment, to discipline his people, to draw them back. And last time when they saw that fire fell from heaven and they acknowledged Yahweh is the true God, they turned from this pagan god Baal and back to the true God. God says, now I can withdraw the discipline. Now I can send the rain. And as the rain is about to fall, Elijah tells Ahab to ready his chariot so he won't be bogged down by the downpour that's coming. I want you to notice that as Elijah says this, Uh, We see here in verse 43 that there wasn't yet a cloud in the sky. There's there's nothing to show rain is coming, but Elijah says, I hear the roar of the approaching rain. Now, this isn't like the old TV character. Some of you here remember the $6 million woman. Remember her? And she had a bionic ear. And they would have this part in the show where she could always, you know, she'd hear stuff in the distance that nobody else could hear. That's not what we're reading about here. What we have here is Elijah had ears of faith. He could hear the rolling thunder before his eyes could physically see what was coming. It's a little bit like watching a thunderstorm that's approaching. You know, this past week we've had some pretty good storms here in San Antonio. And if you've watched them come in, you know, you kind of saw the signs of it happening. Maybe you were startled by a boom of thunder when you hadn't seen the lightning strike. And when we pray, it's a little bit like that sometimes. Sometimes. When I was little, I I remember standing at at a window watching a storm roll in, and there would be times that I would see a flash of lightning, and then there would be this rolling thunder that would follow. And and as a young boy, I wondered, why, why don't lightning and thunder happen at the same time? Now, of course they do. That happens simultaneously, but what happens is light travels faster than, than the sound of thunder. And so there are times we see a bright flash before we hear the thunder, or maybe vice versa. We haven't seen the lightning, but we hear the thunder. And at times when we pray, what happens is we're, it's like sitting at the window of heaven. And, and we're praying, and we're asking God to, to answer our prayer. And there are times we see a flash of lightning, some sign, something that says there's a, a thunderous response that is about to come. Your prayer will be answered. But there are other times we sit praying at the window of heaven. There's no flash of lightning, there's no thunder. We see the rain falling, the waters rising, and what we wonder is does God hear us? Is God really there? Does, does He hear us? And if He does, does He care? And in those times where our prayers are going unanswered, we should check our spiritual condition. We should look at the Word of God and see, is there some reason maybe our prayer is being hindered? Men, The Bible tells us that as husbands, if we're not living with our wives as we should, our prayers will be hindered. The Scriptures are clear that all of us, men and women, when there's sin in our life, we can block fellowship with God. There are a number of other reasons God may not answer our prayers. But if we search the scriptures and we find there's there's no reason why our prayers should not be answered, what we sometimes will find is that what's happening is we're looking out with our limited view of the heavenlies. And we can only see just a small part and we're wondering why our prayer is going unanswered. But what we don't see is in another part there's a flash of lightning and there's going to be a thunderous response that is soon to follow. So as you search the blackened skies during one of life's thunderstorms, realize that God may have already answered your prayer and continue to pray by faith, expecting God's thunderous response to follow, even if you don't see the lightning strike. Isaiah sixty-five twenty-four tells us, It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And this is what's happening with Elijah. You see, it's... It's not until verse 42 that Elijah begins to pray, but here in verse 41 he says God has already heard the prayer. God is already answering this request. 1 Kings 18.42 says, So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees. So Ahab is told to prepare to return to the palace, to have a feast for the rain that's coming. But we see that Elijah instead goes back to the top, and he, he kneels down to pray. He puts his face between his knees. His face is in the dirt. As I thought about the posture of Elijah here, it reminded me of a prayer, a poem that is called The Proper Way for a Man to Pray. It says, the proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Dennis Keyes. The only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I should say the proper way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise is standing straight up with outstretched arms and rapturous, upturned eyes. No, it seems to me that his hands should be devoutly placed in front, with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Well, last year I fell in Hodgkin's well, head first, said Cyrus Brown, with both my heels sticking up and my head pointing down. And I made my prayer right then and there. The best prayer I ever prayed, the prayingest prayer I ever prayed, was standing on my head. You ever found yourself in one of those situations? Desperate? Praying, hanging upside down maybe? You see, as we read about Elijah's posture in prayer, friends, the physical outward sign is not important. It's the inward posture of his heart that we're reading about here. I want to remind you that as we've looked at Elijah's prayers in 1 Kings seventeen twenty one, we saw that he was stretched out on the body of the boy as he prayed. In the first part of First Kings, Kings 18, Elijah was standing before the Lord, and now he's crouched down, kneeling on the ground, face in the dirt. When Elijah falls to the ground and he puts his face in the dirt, it's a reminder to him of who God is. It shows the, the humility of his heart, the inward posture. And it's really important when you rewind the tape just a bit and remember where he is and what's happened. I mean, remember he's on the top of Mount Carmel. Do you remember what happened at Mount Carmel last week? It was there that the prophets of Baal, 450 strong, had paraded up the mountain. There was this, this big show that went on. They built this altar. They, they prepared a bull. They laid it on the altar. They were jumping around, cutting themselves, lances and spears and knives. Picture the scene of, of the top of Mount Carmel. The altar is still there. The unconsumed uh, pagan sacrifice to the false god Baal is there. And all around it are, are knives and spears, and there would have been ripped parts of robes and amulets that had been ripped from their neck as the people seize these 450 pagan prophets and dragged them down the hill to kill them. Elijah, as he comes up and he sees this and is reminded of the battle that took place as he sees the burn spot where fire fell from heaven, as, as he sees and is reminded of the glory of what just happened, it would have been real easy for him to strut around. And to say, look what I did. Look at how how mighty a work was done through me. But instead what he does is he falls on his face in humble acknowledgement of who God is and what God has just done. In the times where you go to God in prayer, what's your posture? I'm not saying, are you down on your knees? Or you, are you pointing your hands up saying, well, if they're up, I get what I want. If I point down, that's the wrong way. It doesn't happen that way. I mean, when you go before God, do you stop and just recognize who he is? Whose, whose presence we're entering into? Do you stop and acknowledge how awesome he is? And that we get to go to God. And as we go to God, we talk to him as daddy. Daddy. Remember when Jesus taught the disciples to pray? He said, say, our Father, Abba, Daddy. And as you spend time and linger for a moment, as you adore him, as you see him for who he is, your heart will overflow in worship. And as we worship him, it will humble us. It will show the real smallness of who we are as we compare it to the greatness of our God. And it should cause us, as we enter into the holiness of God, to say, I need to confess my sins. I need to recognize how unworthy I am to be in His presence. And as we're there, understanding the awesomeness of who our God is, it it helps us in the prayers we're about to pray, doesn't it? Because suddenly we realize how big He is and how little our needs really are in comparison. And as we think about the power of God, it gives us more confidence as we make our request. Think of the story of a little boy. He was in his backyard one day. He's in his sandbox. He's playing with his trucks. He's building roads, digging tunnels. And as he's doing so, uh, he comes to a point where his truck hits this rock. Now he kind of moves the sand around, digs down, and he sees the edge of a rock. He he tries to move it, and he figures out this is a pretty big rock. And so he keeps digging around it. He unearths this this rock, and it seems like a, a boulder to this little boy. And, and he wants it out because so, that's where his road needs to go, and he tries to move it, and, 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 and he can't get it up, so he, he puts his back against the sandbox. He's using his feet, and he's pushing and pushing, and finally he manages to roll the rock a little. And so with great effort, he continues to push the rock with his feet over to the edge of the the sandbox. And he tries to lift it, but it falls down, and it crushes his, his chubby little fingers. And so he builds a ramp with the sand and other things, and he keeps trying. But no matter how hard he tries, no matter how much effort, the rock continues to fall back into the sandbox. And one final time, it rolls back on him, crushing his feet as he's trying to push it up, and tears begin to fall from his face. And at that moment, there's a shadow that that is overcast over him in the sandbox. And the little boy looks up. And he sees his father standing there. The little boy has tears streaming down his face. And what he doesn't know is his dad's been standing at the kitchen window the whole time watching. Just watching this whole process. This little boy struggled. And, and the father very gently says to his son, he says, son, wh- why didn't you use all the power you had? And he says, daddy, I did. I did. I tried everything. I did my best and, and I couldn't get it up. And he says, son, you didn't use all the power you had. You didn't ask me. And then he bends down and with no effort, the father picks up the rock and he throws it aside. I wonder what big rocks you're facing this morning in your life or the life of a loved one. Are there some of you here today that are saying, Roger, I've been doing everything I can. I've used every bit of effort and resource and and, and ability that I had and I still can't change the circumstances. And I want to ask you this morning, have you really used every bit of power you have? Have you gone to your daddy, your heavenly father, and prayed and asked him for help? You see, as Elijah goes to God in prayer, he was able to to harness power that was unbelievable, miraculous power of a great and mighty God. And as Elijah prays, he doesn't just go and shoot up one of those quick prayers that that we oftentimes do. It It was a persistent prayer. It says here, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go back seven times. I want you to remember back in verses 36 through 37, Elijah prayed once and fire fell from heaven and sometimes what we do is we say well i prayed i tried i asked god and nothing happened or maybe we're like in first kings 17 and we say well i prayed 3 times like he did when he stretched himself out over the boy say look i know maybe god wants to see persistence and expectation so i've i've prayed more than once have you prayed 7 times And some of you are saying, oh, yeah, Roger, I've prayed 70 times and 70 times seven. Well, you know, as we look at Elijah here, he knew persistence was needed. Sometimes God answered the first time. Sometimes it was after three. This time it was after seven. If it had been 700 times, Elijah would have continued to pray. When God doesn't answer your prayer the first or second or third time you ask, do you get frustrated or do you stay faithful? Do you continue to ask God? Do you persevere? You see, Second Peter 3, chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, tell us this. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient, patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. There's a man who said to God, God, what's a million dollars like to you? He said, oh, a penny. He said, God, what's, what's a million years like to you? And he said, a second. And the man said, God, can I have a million dollars? Can I have a penny, God? And he said, sure, in a second. <laughs> How many of us have said to God, God, this is what I need. And, and we know he can give it to us. But have we persevered? Have we continued to pray? You see, God's not bound by our timelines. If you do a little bit of math here with what the scripture tells us, then if a day is like a thousand years to God, then one hour equals 41 years. One minute is six to eight months, and a second is three and a half days. When God looks at your prayer life, are you persistent? Do you pray a second? Maybe a minute? A day? How long do you pray? Maybe you've heard of a man by the name of George Mueller. He was a famous uh, person who ran an orphanage in the early 19th century in England. And Mueller was a man who depended upon God to feed all the orphans under his care. The daily food, the clothing, the provision of the place where they stayed. Everything had to be given to them. And Mueller kept a journal of all of the prayer requests that he made. And people have looked back through this journal, and they found there are more than 50,000 answers to prayer in Mueller's journal, 50,000. And among his prayer were they found an entry for two friends that he had been praying for to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And when they went back and they researched these men, what they found is Mueller had prayed every day for these men for 60 years, 60 years. And one of the men came to faith in Christ, accepted him as his Savior right before Mueller died. And the other man came to faith a short time after Mueller had died. Here was a man who had been faithful, who had persevered, who had asked for decades for these two friends to come to Christ. You know, there are times we will pray for something, and we may not see the answer here on earth. But when we get home to heaven, there will be a day where we will see how God answered our prayers. None of our prayers are lost. None of them are wasted. There are times we pray for justice. There are times we pray for things and we wonder, where is God? Why doesn't he hear? We see another terrorist attack like happened in England. And we go, where is God? When is he going to answer? Read the book of Revelation. Read about the golden bowls of judgment that will be poured out upon the earth one day. It's made up of all of the prayers of the saints that have been stored up. Not one is lost. There is a day coming where God will answer those prayers. As you think about what you're praying for, do you persevere? Are you faithful or do you get frustrated and give up? Do you have a family member, a friend, somebody you've been praying for to come to Christ? Have you prayed decades Would you be willing to pray 60 years or more if needed? Jesus teaches the principle of persevering in prayer in the New Testament. In the parable of the neighbor who knocks at midnight in Luke chapter 11, we see it. There's the parable of the unjust judge and the persistent widow in Luke 18. And he tells us in Luke 18.1, now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. See, the Bible is full of reasons that our prayers are not answered as I said look at your life and say what could be a hindrance what could be something keeping this prayer from being answered the book of James gives us some reasons our prayers are unanswered he says in James 4 2 through 3 you do not have because you do not ask you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures he starts out with the basics he says some of you don't get your prayers answered because you never pray them you do not have because you do not ask. And then he says, well, sometimes you ask, you spend plenty of time in prayer, but as James four three says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see, I think far too many believers see God as some cosmic bellhop, right? Ding! We hit the bell and we expect God to show up at the counter and say, how may I serve you? What is your need? Do you have some luggage I need to carry? Do you need room service? What what can I do today to serve you? Or maybe God is a genie and we have our prayer lamp and we utter that magic phrase in Jesus' name. And we think God's going to pop out and say, how may I serve you? What can I do for you? And what God tells us in prayer is we're not to ask what can God do for us, but he says we're to ask what is God's will. What God wants from us is to say, God, what is your will? 1 John 5.14 says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You see, the secret of successful prayer is to pray according to God's will, not ours. Jesus said in the Lord's prayer, not only call him daddy, but he says, when you pray, pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose for prayer is not to get what we want done here on earth to get our needs and our greeds answered here on earth, is to say, God, what do you want to do here on earth? And to pray that way. When it comes to praying for something that's in God's will, uh, 1 Kings 18.1 told us that it was going to rain. God said, I'm sending the rain. So Elijah knew he was praying in God's will. Now, some people will say, well, then why did Elijah even pray? If God already said he's sending the rain, why does God pray? Sometimes people say, well, if if the Bible's really true about predestination and election and people are going to be drawn to God, why do we even share our faith? And the answer to both of those questions is found in something my seminary professor, Howard Hendricks, once said. Prof said that prayer is the hand of faith that translates promises into performance. God not only ordains the end, but he also ordains the means. Did you hear that? God not only ordains the end, but he also ordains the means. The rain was going to come in response to the prayer Elijah would do. That person may come to faith as you or someone else shares their faith with the person, not through the cleverness of your words. God has ordained that person to be his, but you're the means. And if you refuse to be the one who follows through in faithfulness, God will raise somebody else up. God not only ordains the end, he also ordains the means. Prayer is not a question of coming to a reluctant God in an attempt to persuade him to do what he really doesn't want to do. Prayer is a matter of coming before God with an awareness that we are dependent individuals. It is a realization that our need is not partial but total. Do you remember what we've talked about earlier in this series about Elijah? Why God sent him out to be fed by ravens? Why he had to be fed by a widow? Why he had to do all these things? It was to learn true dependence on God. It was to recognize that he was powerless without the power of God. And he was preparing him. He was using him. He was making him the man he needed to be. And and he has been prepared to be dependent upon God. And sometimes that's what God is doing with us. As as our prayers go unanswered, as we persevere and wrestle with him, as we're persistent and expectant and drawing near to God, he's changing us even if our circumstances are not changed. In verse 46 it says, And it came about that at the seventh time the servant said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. You see, as he's praying persistently, there's also an expectation. The servant comes back and says, "Uh, Master, there's nothing. Just clear blue, sunlit skies, no cloud, no rain. And Elijah says, "Go, go look again. Comes back, there's nothing. Go look again. Back and forth, back and forth it goes. Each time he looks out toward the Mediterranean Sea, I've stood on top of Mount Carmel. On a sunny day where there are no clouds and you can see the sea in a distance. And that, that's where the water, as the, as the day heats, that's where the vapors come up and they begin to form clouds. And as he's looking out, as he's waiting for this monsoon to come, he's told the king, get in your chariot. You know, you're going to be bogged down by the rain that's coming. And, and finally the guy comes back and he says, well, Elijah, there's something. It's, it's, it's a cloud no bigger than your hand. It's, it's, it's just a tiny thing. There's no monsoon. And how does Elijah respond? He says, get the umbrella. He says, no, better yet, get a boat. Because this is going to be a big one. This is going to be a gully washer. He tells Ahab, you better get going because your chariot is going to bog down as, as the floods come. I wonder how many of us have that kind of faith when we pray. Have you ever gone to a prayer meeting where you're asking God to send rain and left your umbrella at home? Or do you take it with you expecting he's going to answer? Now I know that there are times when you've been in a drought. It can be hard to believe God's going to come through. Some of you know what that's like. Maybe it's your marriage right now that's a mess. And you've been praying and you've been asking God to heal it, to change your husband or your wife. Maybe to change you so that you can be the person that you need to be. And as you're praying and as you're trying, nothing's changing. And you're saying, why Why keep trying? Why keep after it? Maybe you've been without work for a while. You've got your resume out. You're filling out applications. You're going to places. You're applying for jobs. And nothing. It could be a health scare. It could be a prodigal son or daughter. It could be some situation in your life where you're saying, I've been praying, I've been asking, and nothing is changing. You know, when you pray, maybe you will see nothing. And as you pray again, it will be nothing. And the next time, nothing. And the next time, nothing. But what you don't know is that there is a flash of lightning in the heavenlies that you can't see. And God is drawing together a cloud. And it may be no bigger than a man's fist at the moment, but it is a monsoon that is coming. It is something that God is preparing. And what He wants is for us to continue to be persistent, to continue to ask and pray in faith for the downpour that is about to come. 1 Kings 18:45 through 46 says, So it came about in a little while that the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode, and he went to Jezreel, and then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. You see, his prayer not only brought the promised rain, but it also filled him with a power that was amazing. As he gets up and he runs to Jezreel, Jezreel was 20 miles away. And a chariot was the fastest form of transportation in that day. It had horses. And, and, and as it's taking off, as Ahab has a head start, suddenly we read that Elijah passes him. I mean, think if you were Ahab for a minute. Would you start to think, is this guy a god? He, he says it's not going to rain and it doesn't for three and a half years. He prays for fire to fall from heaven and it does. Then he prays for a rain and a flood comes. And now this guy's, you know, a streak passing you by. Friends, he wasn't wasn't a God. He wasn't a superhero. He was a man just like us. He was just a man who had faith in a great God, and he turned to him in prayer. And because of that, verse 46 says, the hand of the Lord was on him. God and his power were available to Elijah, and they're available to us today. If we will be men and women, boys and girls, just like this prophet Elijah. If we will turn to God in prayer. And as we pray, we're not to be like the children of Israel who are hard-hearted, praying wrong prayers with selfish motives. We're not to be like the prophets of Baal who were sincere in their prayers, but they were praying to a false God who was powerless. We're to pray to the one true God. The one who says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ is our mediator. He's the one who opened the way. It's because of him that we as sinful people can come into the presence of a holy God. It's something that we're reminded of today as we come to the communion table. As we come to the communion table now, what we're reminded of is who God is and how much he loves us. We're reminded of a God who is all-powerful and able to meet any need that we have. Because friends at this table, were reminded of the greatest need any of us would ever have. The need for a Savior. Because we owed a penalty of sin called death. We were separated from God by our sins. We had no hope of getting to God until He sent His Son. Until Jesus Christ came and went to the cross to give his life to die and pay that penalty of death that I owe and you owe for your sins. Romans 6:23 says the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you've ever wondered where is God when you're going through times of trial or suffering look to the cross that's where he is. If you've ever wondered where is God when a loved one was suffering and dying and you said, why? Did God even know? Did He care? Where was He? Friends, He was in the same place He was as He watched His Son dying on that cross. Romans 5.8 says, He demonstrated His own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He looked down over the edge of heaven and He could see His Son suffering and dying on a cross. That's where God was. He said, I love you. And I know your need and your first and greatest need is for a Savior. I know you're facing many things this morning. But if you're here today and you've never yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, that is your greatest need. That is your first and foremost need is for a Savior. And Jesus offers you the gift of new and eternal life. If you will turn from your sins into Him and say, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you. I recognize I can't get to you by how good I am but God, I know what you did. You came and you took my place and you provided that bridge that is set down over the chasm of sin that separates me from you. And today, Jesus, I'm accepting your son as my savior. You can do that as the elements are passed by taking the bread and the cup and saying to God, I believe you're who you said you are, my savior. And as you take those elements, you tell God, I'm taking you today. I'm accepting you as my savior. As you take and hold these elements, the bread representing his body and the cup representing his blood, I want you just to spend some time in prayer for those of us who already know him and say to God, God, maybe I've sinned. I've made some mistakes this week, this month, this year. And confess those sins, recognizing we're coming before a holy God. He tells us to come with clean hands and hearts. This is a table open to all who are believers in Christ. You don't have to be a member of Wayside, just a part of the body of Christ. So we take and hold these elements and we'll take them together in a moment. As we've talked about the power of God this morning, this piece of bread reminds us of His power. Power that overcame the grave. Power that showed how He conquered sin and death at the cross. Power that showed how the grave could not hold Him. He rose from the dead three days later, proving He was who He said He was. The Son of God who conquered sin and death and our enemy Satan. The body of Jesus seated in remembrance of Him. As we hold this cup, a cup of juice, it represents so much more than that. It represents God's great love and grace. The people in that day prayed and hoped for rain to come down and and water the parched earth that was drought ridden. This cup represents the grace of God that rained down on us as the blood of Jesus was shed, as he washed away our sins. As you picture him hanging on the cross, the blood dripping from the, the crown of thorns in his head, the wounds in his hands and feet, the spear that had been thrust in his side, and as it rained down upon the earth. The book of Romans tells us that even the earth is crying out for the day of redemption, a time when sin will be done away with, when everything will be made new and restored. And this cup representing his blood represents the grace of God that rained down from heaven on us and washed away our sins. The blood of Jesus, drink it in remembrance of him. Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord God, thank you for your grace. Grace that is remembered today as we come to this table as we are reminded of your great sacrifice, your great love for us that was demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, you, Jesus, died for us, as Romans 5, 8 tells us. We thank you, God, that you are who you said you are, the creator of all and the one who conquered sin and death, the one who set us free by the power of your blood. Jesus, as those who have been recipients of your grace, as those who have been washed clean of our sins, would we be messengers of grace? Would we go into the world around us, a world that is hurting and broken and needing to hear the hope of eternal life? Would you use us, Lord, as your mouthpieces? Father, as those who go, we need to go in your power. We need to be wholly dependent upon you. And so would we be men and women of prayer? Would we be those who talk to you about friends and family and co-workers before we talk to them about you, God? Would we ask you to prepare their hearts, to draw them near? Would we be those who ask for courage? Would we be those in who are faithful, not just to pray, but to follow through and share the good news? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of grace. Thank you for making us a part of your family and for using us as a part of your plan to share the good news. So use us now, Lord. Send us out as your men and women, your missionaries, into the world around us. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are going to be prayer leaders at the front after the service, those who would love to pray with you if you have a time of need. I'm going to ask that you stand now and sing this closing song of worship. Sure.